Open our ears to hear your word and our hearts to receive them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a good day. Don't forget your manners. Take care of yourself. Do your best. Be careful. Don't be late. Keep in touch. Ring if you need something. Remember, I love you. These are the kinds of things that we say when we are departing from someone in our parting remarks, we give out our last-minute instructions for what the other person should do after we've left. No doubt you can recall saying some of these things to your children when they were growing up, and no doubt you're saying them to your grandchildren even now, even though you vowed when you were a youngster that you would never grow up sounding like your mother. But it's not only our children and grandchildren to whom we use these words. We say them time and time again when departing from someone that we love and care about. With those words, we entrust the future well-being of that loved one to him or herself. It would be quite easy to interpret today's gospel as Jesus departing instructions to his disciple. It would make sense, wouldn't it? After all, this is the night of the Last Supper. Jesus knows that he's leaving. Very soon, he will be crucified and the disciples will have to find their way in the world without his physical presence. So why not give some last-minute instructions about how to act, what to do, the way they should treat each other? Well, that's what we might do. But that's not what Jesus is doing here. That would be a misinterpretation of the text. Jesus is not entrusting the future of the disciples to themselves he is entrusting their future to God. His words are not departing instructions. They are a departing prayer. The disciples are God-entrusted, not self-entrusted. I've no idea why, but on um, Easter Monday afternoon, I was suddenly conscious that I was preaching here today. And so I found myself sitting at my dining table looking up this passage. And as I read through it, as I have done many times over the years, it had the most profound effect on me. It was almost physical. That realisation that these disciples are witnessing in the very presence of Jesus a direct prayer from Jesus to his Father and our Father too. 
What an awesome moment that must have been. And what a privilege that the moment has been shared within this gospel for the benefit of all of us, you and me. We are overhearing Jesus' prayer for us. And his prayer isn't for our benefit alone, but for the life of the world, so that the world may believe the Father sent Jesus. Our unity becomes the sacramental presence of God in the world. Our oneness continues the embodiment of God in human flesh and life. But this unity is not something we do or something we create. Jesus doesn't tell the disciples to be nice to each other, to get along, to eliminate their differences, or to agree upon a common plan or purpose. He doesn't prescribe tolerance, uniformity, or consensus. We are not the recipients of instructions. We are the subject and the beneficiary of Jesus' prayer. You and me. And I just think that's just so overwhelming, isn't it? And in this wonderful prayer, Jesus prays three times for oneness. That they may be one, that they may be as one, that they may become completely one. The oneness for which he prays is modelled on the unity of the Father and Jesus, their shared life. He prays that we would be completely one as he and the Father are one. Jesus' prayer echoes the ancient Jewish prayer, Shema Yisrael. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. That Jesus is praying to the Father for our oneness rather than giving instructions means that the unity is of and from God. It's not something we do or can create ourselves. It is the very life and being of God. We do not establish unity. We both participate in and manifest it to the world. The already existing oneness that is God. Of course, this doesn't mean that we can just sit back and wait for God to answer Jesus' prayer. We too have a part in answering that prayer. Our oneness must take tangible and visible form if it is to show the world the invisible and spiritual life and presence of God. In some way, our lives in relationship to God and one another become the answer to Jesus' prayer. Our lives and relationships are to be outward and visible signs of God's inward and invisible presence. We can become and live this, however, 
only when we know ourselves to be God-entrusted rather than self-entrusted. That means that our life comes not from ourselves, but from God. That's what allowed Jesus to choose the cross. That's why he prayed rather than instructed. It is how we become one as Jesus and the Father are one. Right about now, some instructions would be really helpful, but I don't have any. Jesus didn't give any. There is no list. I can't tell you what to do. But I can tell you where to begin looking. This oneness exists at the intersection of our love for God and our love for each other. It is the intersection of the vertical axis, axis and the horizontal axis. Unity is cross-shaped. That point of intersection is, according to St. John's account of the Gospel, the hour of Christ's glory, his death and resurrection. That's the preeminent image of a God-entrusted life. That is where we find our oneness. That is what we show the world. Each time we live with a God-entrusted understanding of ourselves and relationships reconcile. Each time we take a step toward a God-entrusted understanding of ourselves and let go of a self-entrusted life, we move towards oneness. As we begin to immerse ourselves in this process of moving forward, on the journey out of this pandemic. It's caused me to think quite a bit about unity and what it will look like. We will all move at different paces according to our circumstances, our characters, our personalities. Some will reflect on what we've been through and have careful plans for how they move forward in the world. Others will be straight back in there as if nothing has ever happened. So how can we achieve unity with those sorts of differences? How do we prevent ourselves becoming judgmental or perhaps even envious of those who think and do differently to us. My hope and prayer is that we recall the sincerity and humility of Jesus' prayer to his Father on that last, on the night of that Last Supper. That we will respect our differences in outlook and go forward in the unity that Jesus prayed for. 
when in love for God and each other, we surrender our self-entrusted life to a God-entrusted life. We embody the Father's answer to Jesus' prayer, and we are one as Jesus and the Father are one. In that moment we have, as I once heard it expressed, met the glory of God, and it is us. Amen.